Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Wax Cast, episode twelve. I'm your host, Gavin Wax, and today I'm joined by a personal friend of mine who has a great Twitter account. You should all follow Gabby Shapiro at Gabby Shapiro. Uh, I wanted to bring you on, Gabby, because uh, you are a specialist, an expert, a doctor, really, in all things political. And I wanted to get your insights and opinions on uh, the latest happenings in the country and maybe even the world. We'll see where this conversation goes. But uh, you know, it's it's been an interesting uh, few weeks for us. Uh, you know, I think you consider yourself kind of a populist nationalist, uh, right winger like myself, conservative and, as well. Okay, and conservative. Yes, I was going to get there. Um, but uh, it's it hasn't been a great week. It hasn't been a great few weeks. Uh, we've been hearing, you know, it, it's always going to be uh, this one last thing that'll help flip this election around. This other deadline. It's this other. Uh, you know, trigger something's going to happen to flip it, and it doesn't seem to materialize. Now we're hearing it's Jan six. There's going to be some kind of showdown in Congress. I don't really buy it necessarily. I want to believe it. I don't necessarily believe it. Then you have DNI with Ratcliffe. Now they're talking about some possibilities of foreign uh, interference that may come out in a report. I don't know what kind of impact that's going to have, other than show that our country really has become a joke and really become the laughing stock of the world. Uh, how do you feel about everything? Are you positive? Are you negative? Are you already planning for the future? So, uh, unfortunately the election appears to be lost. You know, obviously if there's some last minute, you know, something that happens, I'll be, you know, absolutely overjoyed and prepare for the ensuing riots. But, um, as, uh, as nature goes, if nature goes as, as it has in the past, uh, you know, a couple hundred years in this country, uh, Joe Biden will unfortunately be sworn in on uh, on January twentieth. Um, I think in the past um, the past uh, the past couple of weeks month, um, it's been we've been inundated by people who've been fundraising off of this, and it's essentially unfortunately turned into a grift. No results. Obviously, there were two lawsuits that were brought to the Supreme Court. Both were dismissed. Uh, one unanimously, one almost unanimously. And so, I mean, those were the only things that had a real chance of doing anything if the justices, you know, felt that they uh, had a case, which they didn't. I, you know, I'm not a legal expert. You could have Josh Hammer on for that. He'll give you the, the rundown. Um, but it's been, it's, it's unfortunate. It's very sad. You know, this is not the outcome that we wanted. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it could be a good thing. Not because, not, you know, not this, this is what I wanted. This is the outcome that I wanted, but uh, we could turn it around because this gives us a major opportunity. The party that, uh, that has the presidency generally will lose the House. Generally, there will be a backlash against the other opposing party having the presidency. It gives us a really good um, opportunity heading in 2000, into 2022 where there are a bunch of very vulnerable Republican Senate seats up uh, up for up for uh, re-election. That would be the one in Pennsylvania, the one in Wisconsin. Uh, the one in Pennsylvania is actually going to be an open Senate seat. So that's really important to get a good, solid candidate in there that fits the state, that who can win. So I think that's really where we need to focus on now is elections going forward. Because, I mean, all of our tweets, all of our trolling, all of our, you know, Attacking the attacking the fake Republican clubs that call themselves Republican clubs, all of this leads to, or is supposed to lead to, actually voting at the ballot box. Hopefully not by mail, and ensuring that there, that change happens because change change isn't doesn't realistically happen. Even if you change the culture, you have to actually get people out to the polls to vote. So that's really what what is important going forwards. Agreed with all that. I think it's we have to remain positive. And uh, the second we get into these sort of apocalyptic, you know, doom doom mentality, uh, we're we're destined to fail. That that's the demoralization that the left would love to, you know, uh, go through our ranks. You mentioned the grift, which is unfortunate, but it has become uh, the expected uh, outcome with uh, a lot of Republican uh, and conservative causes. Unfortunately, the left doesn't seem to be uh, dealing with too much of their own internal grift as much as. The right is, but you make several good points, and I think it's also important uh, to keep things balanced and in perspective, uh, especially as it comes to you know the historical 
uh, you know, record. I mean, this is certainly not the first stolen election. I think, uh, if anything, uh, it's been one of at least two that I can come up with off the top of my head. I know uh, 1960 is referenced uh, pretty often. I believe 1876 is also referenced. You can even go back to, you know, I think it was Jackson in 1820. So there has been a history in this country of, of shenanigans and, and shady dealings. And that's part and parcel of having democratic processes, unfortunately, especially when things are not really, uh, you know, protected and, and, and legislated correctly, as we've seen this cycle. Um, but it hasn't prevented things from rebounding. It hasn't prevented the will of the people, uh, the will of the silent majority, if you will, from coming back. And as you mentioned, taking different Senate seats, taking Congress and uh, enacting uh, electoral change. We saw that with Jackson's comeback in the 1820s. We saw it with, with Nixon's comeback four years later, whatever that meant for us. So there is historical precedent. Um, now, obviously, there, there is a difference in terms of there may have been some foreign interference. I think that the divisions of the country are far more uh, deeper ideologically, and it, it could set sow the seeds for something uh, far worse. That's to be seen, and how the next few weeks develop uh, would be very telling for that. Um, but the House, sure, we can certainly retake it. We can make well, it that, retaking the House is going to be extraordinarily easy, and yes. the reason is is because the current map of the of the, of the current House seats. Is not going to be the map for tw- the 2022 re-election. Election. There's going to be a major for gerrymandering, and yep. the Republicans have serious control in about every important state except for Pennsylvania. Because Obama com- failed. Obama failed with his plan to flip the chambers and, and enact uh, redistricting. That was no one really wants to talk about that, right? And 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 this is what you'll see: is in North Carolina, there's currently a Democrat governor, and he's supposed to have a say in the redistricting. But because the Republicans in North Carolina did so well down ballot, he has no say. And the Republicans in North Carolina will enact a, a crazy, you know, a crazy map like that. Same thing in Georgia, uh, Florida. There's an opportunity for, and I mean, each of these states that I mentioned, well, especially Florida and Georgia, will be receiving additional congressional seats because they're increasing population. And uh, be based, you know, even without those, you could gerrymander those states. You know, eke out a couple more uh, Republican seats. See if Republican seats out of that, and that so is we're basically there. The problem is, is that are these Republicans coming in going to be of the same, uh, you know, caliber as we've seen in the past, which is essentially weak, uh, feckless. And not up to task uh, when 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 they're called upon, which is what we've seen not only from elected Republicans but appointed judges who claim to be conservatives. I mean, do you have any faith? I mean, I, I have faith in taking it back. Uh, you know, on a simple you know majority, uh, you know, it just this mere number of seats flipped. But do you do you have any faith that this new caucus would uh, be able to actually effectuate real change and and fight for any real values? So in terms of fighting for any values, that's going to have to wait until the, you know, 2024 presidential election. All they can do is stall and make deals with Democrats as they did, you know, during Obama years. And that went better some years and worse other years. No amnesty was passed. So, I mean, you know, that was, that's honestly a miracle um, that no amnesty was passed during the Obama years. Um, So, and, and that was due to good quality representatives and senators elected. Um, and so Do you think the chances of that are going up or down with amnesty? I mean, does this new administration that s- seems to be developing under Biden, does it seem more to the left of Obama or actually as, you know, the, the so-called pundits have claimed, uh, you know, more moderate? So in some ways it's more left, in some ways it's more moderate. It, it, you know, it depends on the issue. And on amnesty, I mean, Obama deported 11 million people from this country. Like that is what his administration did. Uh, Bush deported, I believe it was 10 million and Trump, I don't know what the numbers are, but they are, I, it's for sure less than 5 million how many were deported. So it's, it's, the left has moved so far to the left on immigration that it's not, it's not really a question of, uh, is it more left or more right than Obama's? It's a question of the entire party's moved, the entire country has moved to, you know, to the left on this. And in the 90s, everyone was voting on the, on deportation bills and like, you know, fast tracking deportations. All the Democrats were basically um so so i mean so i mean that's really that's really what it is what it'll come down to obviously is the primaries and once again voting this is what it all comes down to is primaries and voting right now there's actually a big an election in texas going on uh for a texas state senate uh seat uh between two candidates uh let me i can actually tell you the name of one of them 
the one is uh, the one that um, it's basically a war between the governor and Lieutenant and Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, who's the chair of the Republican Party. Interesting. And uh, the governor's backing the person who is the state, uh, the state representative for the state senate seat, and the and Alan West is backing somebody by the name of Shelley Luther. Uh, if the name sounds familiar, it makes sense. She was the one who was arrested for operating her salon in Texas and wouldn't. Ah, uh, yes, 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 the blonde. Yes, she, she went to she went to jail and told the judge to you know uh, that she's not. The, the rest is history. But she she's a patriot. Well, I'm glad she's in the running. So I mean, it looks like Alan West is doing some good work down there. It needed it. The Texas House is very liberal, despite it being a Republican majority. It, that's always been very frustrating to me that I see these some some of these states have almost super majorities. Uh, there's always been some hiccup. Either the, the bodies themselves have been much more moderate Republicans and some of the more national trends have never uh, trickled down locally. Sometimes you see, you know, it, the, at the national level, the, the political winds of change are more accelerated than the local level, which seem to be more entrenched. It's not really grassroots. Sometimes it's top, bottom down. And then other times, like in a case like Ohio, you've had horrible governors uh, who just block everything their conservative legislatures tried to do. So it's good to see the party uh, apparatus there putting up uh, a good fight. What did you make of his uh, his press statement with the secession? Oh, um, Alan West. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's a little funny, but uh, no, I, I think I think that it's going. You know, we're headed in a direction where either you know both sides are going to you know the left and the right are going to have to agree to either live together or. If they're not going to live together, you know, the riding is unsustainable. We have to separate. It's going to be one of those two options. And uh, and if, if we have if we live together, you know, both sides are going to have to make, you know, c- compromises. It's going to end up more of, you know, live and let live, uh, you, know, you know, a sort of a sort of structure. You know, the left gets to do what they want. The right gets to do what they want. The left doesn't get the loot. The right doesn't get the left. You have to tell the left about their, you know other special social stuff that they like doing. Um, well, that would be federalism. That would be beautiful if we could right. actually the, have the that. But the, the left is not interested in having, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, federalist consensus where we can, you know, each have our own little, you know, uh, regional differences and, and regional policy, uh, uh, you know, uh, prescriptions they want uh to 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 wholesale change the country change the society and uh that that's really what it comes down to i mean if i I had no problem if you were if you wanted to be a liberal in in a liberal state i mean i would if i lived there i'd oppose you but you know if you're trying to federalize those policies that's really what's been tearing at the core of this country right and the left will never agree so that's why i think you know we are headed in that direction and it's not you know where we where I think it would be ideal for us to go, but that is the reality. It's like just looking, you know, you know, looking at the facts on the ground, that's where we're headed. So it's time to prepare and, you know, see act the cleanest way to do this. Yeah. And act accordingly. That makes sense. Um, now we talked about the midterms. We talked about, you know, the Senate and the house in this situation we're hypo- talking about right now, hypothetically speaking, where do you see Trump? Where do you see Trump? I mean, I just saw that report. I think it was from Grudusky who said, uh, who is it? This uh, Rick Rollins is going to be leading his post-presidency uh, affairs, which anyone who's following her and, and some of the people inside the administration who have not been the best influences on the president, that yeah. doesn't really bode well for what he'll be doing once Chad he Wolf. exit. Yeah, Chad Wall. I mean, all these people. I mean, so mm-hmm. do you think he will be a force uh, for good in terms of our ideology, you know, this, this right wing uh, you know, a viewpoint for the next stuff. Uh, four years. Do you think he runs in 2024? Where do you think it goes from here? Uh, you know, whether he runs in 2024 or not, you know, I don't even want to attempt to predict. I have no <laughs> idea, you know, what, what possibly. I like that answer. Cause I'm sick of asking that question, but yeah. perfect. I, it's like, it's like, I don't like, you know, I'm not a fortune teller. I can't, uh, you know, so I have no idea whether he runs in 2024 or not. Um, he, from in terms of what I'm interested in, if he's looking at people like Brooke Rollins and Jared Kushner for positions, uh, you know, I'm not interested in him running for in 2024. I don't want that. I didn't vote for Brooke Rollins. I didn't vote for Jared Kushner. Uh, I don't want them anywhere near the presidency. I didn't vote for Ivanka Trump. I don't want her, you know, trying to convince her father to stay in the Paris climate change accords or not to leave the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, That's not what I, that's not what I want. You know, what I want is solid, you know, conservative leadership for the country and that's not that and that ain't it and if that's it i don't want it and and i i you know i would hope that trump would you know i think trump's son don uh, don uh, don jr is a very 
solid conservative influence. He's been a, you know, he, he's been a staunch defender of his father. He's been, and it's not even about a personality cult. He's also, you know, been pushing conservative policies and conservative ideas. So, and, or not, he's you know, sort of familial dynasty politics that he's actually uh, in many ways uh, better ideology ideologically than, you know, say the founder of the family dynasty. So it's yeah, actually I, mean, I, I think potentially for him, uh, you know, obviously you hear about a tr- which one, which uh, Laura Trump running for Senate in North Carolina. Lara, Laura, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm like, I have no idea what she supports. You know, what if she's Ivanka, you know, so, so like, you know, I, I don't know, but like if Don theoretically would run for, uh, for Senate in Pennsylvania, I think that could be very exciting. I think he might fit with the state very well, you know, with, you yeah. know, he does his, hunting thing. And he's like very, you know, he's not as formal as, you know, his father is. And I think that might, you know, that might fit with the state. Help so, him. Uh, so it's not that I, I don't want him because he's Trump. I want him because he's a, he's a popular conservative that knows how to, uh, you know, that knows how to respond to the left. No, absolutely. Now let, let's just game things out here. Let's, let's assume, uh, cause you brought up Kushner and you brought up kind of the, the, the non MAGA influences in the white house. Let's just assume that there wasn't any fraud in this race. Let's just take the numbers sure, of face value. Let's say that these are the legitimate results and Biden won. Could we attribute this loss essentially, uh, to the neoliberal kind of internationalist stances that Kushner took and influenced through the administration, namely the shift away from trying to, uh, double down on the white working class vote, uh, which carried him over in 16, the moves away uh, from many policy platforms, positions, and uh, you know promises that were sort of leveled in 2016, uh, the shift towards you know trying to flip uh, on the margins uh, demographic groups that largely have been dominated by the Democrat Party, um, and just shifting resources needlessly uh, to these kind of pandering projects. Do you think? Uh, those general concepts that I just outlined uh, explain that loss that we see if all these numbers were accurate? So the truth is that I don't live in the, in that type of community. Um, so if, if I did, I might have more of more, you know, be able to say more accurately, but it's really, it, it, what you're asking is really the question of did Trump's, you know, had Trump, restricted, you know, the work visas more, would that have won him the election? Had Trump, you know, actually built the wall, would that have won him the election? Had Trump, you know, punish outsourcers more, would that have won him the election? You know, it's a question for someone, you know, for someone who lives in the community. It definitely would have gotten more of my support, although it doesn't directly affect me as much as it as it does those communities. But those are, I mean, as you said, those are what got him over in 2016. It's like, would that have made the difference this year? Without coronavirus, for sure, but with coronavirus, just the fact that they were sending out unrequested mail-in ballots, and just there was so much opportunity for, for if even if you take out you know um, cheating, just right. the fact that mail-in ballots were sent out universally to, to to the levels that they were, it's not even cheating. It's just you're you're, you're harvesting votes. So it's yeah. It's a, if you if you say there, if you assume there's no ballot harvesting, sure. But I think that, you know there's a ton of ballot harvesting, even in states where there where where that practice is illegal. So right. I, I mean, you know, it that, was an uphill I mean, battle no matter what. And just you know, thinking about it from a traditional campaign lens of oh X group over Y group, this policy versus that policy is just not enough. Even if we think these results are legitimate, to get to the numbers that they got and flip a state like Georgia, flip a state like Arizona, to me, I mean, even if we factored in all of that, and I'm fifty-fifty on it, I, 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 I obviously wanted him to, you know, move hard, further right on many of those issues and stay true to a lot of the base. I don't, I don't like calling it further right. It's further pro, you know, you know, further protectionist, further pro, pro-American. Sure. You know, cause, cause I think that that could alienate potentially, you know, Bernie voters who, who Very true. Like, you know, yeah, we want, you know, we want the jobs or, you know, uh, you know, general, you know, general blue collar voters. Just stay to a clear platforms uh, position that, that he had originally outlined. If he had just stayed truer to that and effectuated it better, would it have made the difference? I think obviously it would have helped. I don't think it would have hurt, but could it have really have pushed him over the edge of this, what, 11 million vote gap or whatever it is between the two? I'm no, not 100% not the, sure. Not um, but I kind of want to shift things. I'm getting sick of talking. 
I mean, there's a few other things I feel like I'd, you'd be, I'd be interested to get your opinion on. Uh, let's talk about the ADL. You want to talk about the ADL? Let's talk about the ADL. Um, I love the ADL. Yes. So uh, you're a, you're a religious Jew. Am I am I correct in saying that? Perfect. Um, the ADL uh, describes itself as you know fighting against anti-Semitism and fighting for the Jewish community and against yeah, defamation and all these lofty goals. And they fundraise off of it. And they and they they have all their donor lists of probably old Jews across the country who haven't had a clue about what's been going on in the Jewish nonprofit world for the last. 40 some years. And what do they really do with those resources, Gabby? What do they really do with all that money? Do they actually fight against anti-Semitism? Do they actually fight against hate or do they just actually perpetuate it to a degree because they operate effectively as a PR arm of the Democrat party and the left-wing uh, political machine in this country? Am I, am I right in that assessment? So what they do is they run interference for far left anti-Semitism. And there's a lot of it. You know, and and it doesn't say it doesn't mean that they will never condemn it. Of course, they will condemn it on occasion, but by and large, they will they will ignore it. They will run interference. They will you know say, oh, you know, it, there's the there's the larger picture that, that you know that we're missing out. You know that we need to look at in racial justice issues. Um, and you know, I've had personal personal interactions with them when they would not you know they would not condemn anti-Semitism that happened to me. You, despite it being very public, uh, you know, for days and days and days, because the perpetrators were, you know, groups that the Democrat Party, you know, felt uh, felt sympathy for, and, it, and it's it's not exclusive to me. I've seen this happen, you know, with in many other cases. If you look at their their Twitter feeds, it's clear what their agenda is. You know, they're taking cues from the Southern Poverty Law Center, which right. is a completely discredited, another commendable organization. Yeah, a completely discredited, you know, leftist. It, it's like. Infowars, but like less reliable on the left, and right. they, they just like make stuff up, and you know they'll say, "Oh, anybody who's you know too con too conservative up, they, you know they're they're a racist, you know, without any evidence." You know they've called Jews anti semites, they've called blacks racists. This is you know if you don't talk, if you don't toe their political line. Uh, it's just whatever pejorative they can throw at you. And that's basically what it comes down to. It's just character assassinations to silence political opposition. I mean, it's really, uh, I mean, it's something right out of the communist playbook. It's something really out of, uh, you know, a, a Stalinist type of, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, but they're not the only ones. I mean, it just seems like the entire uh, Jewish nonprofit world is essentially rotten to the core. Uh, they don't necessarily represent the values of most religious Jews, if any religious Jews. I mean, maybe you'll have Jacob Kornblow or whoever in there. He's um, <laughs> But I mean, wh why is there such a disconnect between you know the uh, uh, the community of religious Jews, which is growing and growing each each passing year, and 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 based on demographic trends, could be the majority of American Jews uh, within a generation, or, or at least very close to that. Um, they, there seems to be a, a, a huge disconnect, and they seem to be serving uh, a constituency that that whose population continues to dwindle, and uh, whose connections to Judaism continue to 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 also dwindle and become more and more tenuous. I mean, I don't. Think uh, some of these secular uh, Jews who just think Judaism is watching Woody Allen and occasionally eating a bagel with locks uh, are really what these organizations were built uh, to support. No, obviously not. I mean, you know, they they initially, you know, Jews, you know, in the early 1900s were a were a persecuted class in the United States. They had issues. They were not allowed, you know, allowed in places. They were not, you know, they were not given allowed. They were not hired in many places. Um, and, you know, it was originally meant for, you know, to, to protect them, um, you, know, you know, the ideas of these behind these organizations. Uh, but, you know, now it's just morphed into into an arm of the Democrat Party, which does, you know, does lots of harm to Jews. You know, it, it, it often at Black Lives Matter rallies, there will, there's an extreme amount of anti-Semitism, you know, at, um, you know, Louis Farrakhan, you've got Ilhan Omar, you know, these clearly, these people clearly don't like Jews and anyone who thinks, you know, that they do is, you know, lying to themselves and, and all the, all these organizations do is just run cover for them. And do you think the demographic changes within the American Jewish community that I just outlined would turn that to a conservative Republican voting constituency if, if things hold out over the next several decades? It's, I think these organizations will die out. Um, well, because you know the amount of as as the Jews today who are secular don't 
reproduce or don't reproduce in any significant amount. You know, the Jewish person. It's like a microcosm of the West, really. If you right. want to look at the future of the West, look at look at secular Jews. Yeah, you're, it's it's completely like the stereotypical, you know, New York or San Francisco dweller. They don't have kids. They have pets. They they don't you know they they don't they don't try to make you know to to, to leave more in the behind in the world and no, you know, it's, very, it's unfortunate you know I, I I'm Jewish obviously I care about Jews but I think that uh, that as they as this group dies out the Orthodox the strong Orthodox you know population in the United States will you you know will. Uh, will become more powerful. And when you, somebody says Jews, you won't think of people like, I don't know, who's the famous Jew on TV? Who's the famous Jew on TV? Uh, John Stewart. Yeah, sure. You won't think of John Stewart. You won't think of Bernie Sanders. You'll be thinking of, you know, people. Uh, Gabby uh, Shapiro. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> of popular, you know, you know, you know, popular Orthodox Jews, you could say even Joe Lieberman um, and, and, and others. So, so they'll be thinking of, of, you know, religious, more religious Jews. So I don't know if you saw, but I got into this whole really esoteric, you know, niche debate online about the term, uh, Judeo-Christian. How do you feel about that term? Oh, so I, I can, I, I didn't see the entirety of the debate. Uh, I think that the people who don't, and I could be wrong and I could be misunderstanding, but I think that the people who do not like the term Judeo-Christian are people who do not want the Judeo part in there because they do not particularly uh, like the Jude, you know, like Jews as much. Which is obvious, and I know that to be the case. Which just strikes me as hilarious is they just won't come out and admit it. I'd at least have a little more respect for them if they just admitted that. But what they do is they do this mental gymnastics, where they try to deny the basic logical, historical, and theological reasoning behind the term. Now, listen, if you don't want to use that term all the time, I understand. All right, I have no problem if you want to just, you know, say Christian term, Christian values, whatever. It makes sense when you're comparing because for the most part, there is a lot of shared historical basis for, from Christianity. Christianity emerged as a sect of Judaism. It shares uh, it, its Old Testament is based in part on on the uh, on on the uh, on the Jewish canon, it obviously has additional books because it was based off of uh, Hellenizing Greeks, uh, Hellenizing Jews form of, of Judaism. So it has additional books like Maccabees and things like that that are not in the Jewish canon. But for the most part, a huge chunk of its of, Christ, of Christianity's liturgy is rooted either in books and texts that are uh, canonically within Judaism and originated in Judaism, or their texts that were Hebraic or Jewish in origin that are not canonical in Judaism, but they still have Jewish roots. Um, so you have that history of the history that emerges a Jewish Christian sect, and you have the fact that if you look at the values portion, which is what people usually use in this context, it refers to ethics and morality. And from that perspective, there's not much difference between the two. Um, I, I, I think I think it's largely the ethics and morality that the Christian and Jewish populations living within Western countries share. It's exactly. like it's we both want to live in you know civilized, nice countries, and we and we and we and we both behave you know like that. You'll see you know horror articles like horrible articles coming out from other countries. I think there was this one that came out from I saw from India. Um, the uh, today or yesterday, it was about th this Indian man gambled his wife with some people, and then they were gang raping, or just like horrible stuff that you would never see. And, and obviously, this isn't to say all Indians do this, but like you would never see this stuff within the you know within Judeo Christian culture. This stuff, uh, obviously, you know, you can go back to biblical texts and say, oh, well, the Bible says you know X, Y, and Z. Sure, the Bible says X, Y, and Z, but if you look at what's practically done today you know, practically the behavior between, you know, modern Jews and Christians is very, very similar. And that's why it's the coexistence has been successful for the number of hundreds of years that we've coexisted, you know, between Jews and Christians in America. And that's an interesting point, because when you notice like critics, uh, critics of either Christianity or Judaism, they'll never look to what actually is practiced, even by the most religious of, of denominations. They'll always point to some uh, minor, uh, textual analysis to be like, well, you know, you know, here in, in, in this portion, it's said to murder their whole tribe and seize their land. It's like, okay, well, you know, let's calm down. These are ancient texts. It's very funny that you cherry pick that, but you ignore, say, the same kind of textual criticism that could be, you know, 
given for, say, the Quran or some other religious groups. It's just always been a hypocrisy that always always kind of fascinated me. No, you're entirely correct. It's like, you know, if, if Borough Park was going out and crusading, you know, crusading across Brooklyn, okay, you know, like we can have a talk about the Bible and what the Bible says. Until that point... Well, that may happen soon. I don't know why you were using that as an example. That may happen very soon, given what's going on in Brooklyn. Right. Um, I think you may be leading that charge, so I don't know why you're... Uh, I mean, unless, unless you're trying to plant the seeds for us to dismiss it, because you're trying to paint it as preposterous. That's very clever. Very yeah. clever, Gabby. Um, no, I just wanted to get your opinion on that, because I always found it interesting, and uh, you know, it, it, it's something that just people spurge out to, especially from right-wing circles. People that generally would it, they would always be like, oh, I agree with you on 99% of things, but you said this term that I don't like, and it's like, oh, shut up. It's because you don't like, like the, it's because they don't like the Jews. It's 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 regurgitated it's by anti-Semites, and they're not anti-Semites for any you know for for any like there there are reasons to dislike you know you know there can be reasons to dislike different groups. You can say, oh, Jews, you know, they're too they're they're too particular about things or whatever. But like they don't have a reason why they don't like why they don't like the Jews. You know, we we you know we you know we were productive members of society. Um, there's like there's like not like a particular reason they just say oh you know the, the, the Jews and uh, we don't want Judeo you know to be part of it and if anything like their biggest grievance always tends to be with again the people we were talking about earlier these very left wing secular Jews who pretty much have abandoned all forms of Judaism that that's recognizable uh, and have basically yeah, like, adapted oh, these are the real Jews this is yeah, like, exactly it's like, real Jews. we hate all Jews now it's like okay. right exactly it, it's it's just very it's smart just Richard Spencer. Yes. What do you think about, uh, I also came out today and I said, listen, the United States is a Christian nation and I have no problem saying that. That doesn't mean you can't have a pluralistic society. That doesn't mean you can't have freedom of religion and practice and worship from every other people. But I think it's very clear to recognize it from a historical, cultural uh, background that that is where the country originated many of its roots from. I mean, is that crazy for me to say? No, I mean, this country was founded by Christians, uh, you know. My, my family's been here, I don't know, 100 plus years. And, you know, we've lived very, you know, very nicely. Obviously, you know, there's been, different, you know, different struggles as it was in the early 1900s. But overall, you know, especially now, we're very happy living in this in this Christian country. And we don't want it to turn into any other country. We're like Jews across, all across Europe now are leaving, leaving right. the various European countries because of, you know, enormous amounts of anti-Semitism. And it's not coming from the Christians. So, you know, I'm very, very happy to live in, in this in this country as a Christian, you know, as it is a Christian country. Obviously, you know, I do want my freedom of religion. I do want to practice as a Jew. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to, you know, I also don't want to convert Christians to Judaism. But I, yeah, I'm very, very happy that this is a Which is such a unique and great thing about Judaism, that it's that it's remained a, an ethno-religious group for the most part. Obviously, there's been some converts over the centuries that have eventually assimilated into the broader people. But it's never been one. I mean, I think we did some stuff to the Edomites, but, you know, who cares about them? Right. Um, it was thousands and thousands of years ago. <laughs> All right. He's trying, he's, trying to, he's trying to whitewash what we did to the Edomites. I yes. see. So we can go back to the Crusades if we want to do that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and I don't think those two concepts, uh, you know, being recognizing, uh, you know, that it is a Christian nation and, and also, you know, having the religious pluralism and the freedom of religion as enshrined and, and, co and codified in our governing documents, namely, you know, the Constitution. I think that's that's very much American. And I think that's a great thing. And it's a great balance we've seemed to find because radical secularism are, are, are sometimes many cases worse uh, than having any kind of uh, religious uh, authority in charge. It seems to be almost uh, the same kind of evils that they would prescribe to a, you know, religiously dominated government tend to be uh, the same evils that would be, you know, dispensed by a secular government. So it's a type of uh, two-faced thing that they don't want to really uh, delve into. Um, but I also wanted to touch on some other topics um, yeah. in the same vein. Um, what do you see... Uh, culturally that's happening in this country i mean there there seems to be we we used to always sort of be a few years behind what was going on in say europe and other places but it seems we've almost hit a critical point where things are really accelerating rapidly into sort of this left wing you know uh, wokeism you know postmodernist spiral of society where values are becoming eroded uh, where people are essentially just you know eating up this new age dogma of, of the corporatist left. And it's, it's really not good for people's livelihoods. It's not good for their well being. It's not good for their soul. It's not good for any way you want to measure it. And it's creating the type of people 
who are unable to, you know, to, to start families, to, to enjoy life and to be productive members of society. I mean, we could talk politics, you know, all day long, but many of this has happened outside of the sphere of politics. It's, it's sort of been a parasite that's infected the culture uh, independently in many ways. How, is, uh, how does a society fight back, back against that effectively? So, I mean, I, I think you're saying it's outside of politics. I honestly blame politics for this. I blame uh, Republican politicians and I blame Republican pundits or commentators or whoever you want to call it. It's like there are people, there are Republicans on the right who believe that the way to beat the left is to find an intersectional transgender Muslim and nominate them for president and you know, then we've beaten the left. Gabby, Gabby, if you found a transsexual, interest, intersectional Muslim woman, is that what you described it as? I mean, well, you whatever, should get an no, award. Whatever the, you whatever, should whatever, get an award. You should get an award because I've never heard of anything such existing. Uh, uh, there, there actually is. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> so this person is called Glamouru, and the videos are amazing. Oh my god. Okay, sorry. I wish I hadn't brought this up. Sorry. Yeah, Continue. I'm, I cut you off. Yeah, no, yeah, no worries. But Glamouru, awesome, awesome on YouTube for a good laugh. But no, so this is a, this is a big problem, you know, within the uh, within the Republican Party, and I think it's because the Republican Party has stopped being the anchor on these issues, and we're now pandering to the left as much as possible. That we're that we're in the situation. Donald Trump has been the first per, the first major Republican leader to actually stop these things by ending critical race theory training and other sorts of, you know, race-based stuff, turn it, you know, to, to, you know, taking what, you know, actually like doing a reversal, like all it's other, you know, the Republican party is, is generally been a one way ratchet. The left used to drive us, you know, further and further and further. The Republican party used to like hold us here and then left would drag us further and further. And, you know, the Republican party would go along with it. So it's like, there, I mean, I've met lots of you know so-called conservatives who say we need to nominate Nikki Haley in 2024 because she's a she's a brown Indian uh, strong woman, and I'm just like that's not a, what we want for we're you know we want a strong conservative you know is conservative individual natural. whoever that may be on the merits who've actually delivered things. I mean, what was she the UN ambassador for five minutes? I mean, and, what is and, and she was particularly a, she was not a particularly good UN ambassador. Obviously, you know, if you compare her to Susan Rice, sure. She but, had a few know. she had a few videos where she seemed so cool and disciplined, Gavi. I mean, isn't that enough to become become president? She was a strong independent woman at the UN. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. Nobody ever saw you know, there, there's, there, there have been way better, far better UN ambassadors we've had. It's, it's, yeah. it, it's just, this is, this is why we're being dra- so dragged so far to the left is because people in the Republican party and m- honestly, almost everybody is complicit with this. When, yeah. when, when somebody's nominated, I think I, I, I didn't watch the Barrett nomination, but it's like, we have now nominated a woman. Look how proud we are. It's like, well, she's an accomplished, you know, you know, you know, uh, legal, uh, you know, in in her in the legal field. But like, that shouldn't be a part of her nomination process. That she's a woman. She, I mean, she is obviously a woman. But like, that shouldn't be mentioned. That's not impressive. Yeah, you know, that's not a cheat. That, that's right. just a matter of fact and 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 birth. There's nothing she yeah, did. That's, to, that's to, how God made her. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, you're not going to get, you know, adoration for, you know, just existing and having a pulse and, and having a certain being of a certain gender, uh, one of the 72 of them. But, you know, I mean, you're right, because the Republicans are weak and they constantly are so worried about being called names and being called racist or whatever. And they never know how to push back and fight and say, listen, I don't care. Call me what you want. But screw you until Trump. And when Trump did that, you started to find success. And, uh, you know, they're never going to get over this hump and they're going to continue to go down this pandering route, which never works. It's not even good politics. I mean, if it at least if it at least got political results, I could at least entertain it. And I could sit here and be like, all right, yeah, maybe pandered or we'll win on the margins. But it doesn't even work. It's not even political. It's, it's just it's just horrible all around. It's horrible, you know, just the, the, from the nature of it, from what it what it is, what it means, what it does. And it's bad electorally, but they continue to delve into this crap. And then you have these debates within conservatism between people like, you know, uh, uh, Jonah Goldberg and David French, who I'm sure they're are going to write conservatism. They're, they're, they're open Democrats now. They're open Democrats, but they'll, they'll come out and they'll write a piece. And it's just like, oh, the conservative case to defend transgenderism in elementary school and why you should put your kids on puberty blockers, the conservative case. They're not conserving anything. 
they're not conserving anything. They're not even they're not even holding the line, so to speak. I mean, I, I'm the term conservative. You know, I don't want to get into semantics and linguistics, but you know, I believe we need a rollback. I don't believe we need to conserve anything because there's nothing worth conserving right now for the most part. It's trash. We, we, it's all trash. We need to be, you know, a reaction. We need to be pushing back. We need to turn back the clock, so to speak, on a lot of uh, the societal norms and the policies and the things You're that have gotten back to the 90s. We're in a better place than we are now. Oh, yeah. Even oh, yeah. I mean, in the 90s. And you're, you know, I'm not even, you know, I'm not even going to say that. But it was, it was night and day. I mean, the discussions we're having today in the mainstream culture make the 90s look like the 1950s and right. it's and it just it just goes to show how radical these changes have been typically these changes you know historically maybe you could have looked at it it would have happened over generations these were happening within generations that you could go from you know being born in one decade and by the end of you know 20 30 years later I mean, you're living in a different world i mean there's there's no societal norms that are that are holding true anymore every week it's something new i mean we're seeing now we just saw i just saw the headline the lgbt activist wants to you know distribute uh, puberty blockers to children i mean people no, are going to no, be no, laughing at all now. children until they're old enough to be able to decide what gender they want to be. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. And Republicans, unless they start to push back. So I do agree with you. It is part political. Um, but then there's also this debate within conservatism. It's like, well, oh, well, we want this lazy, fair, uh, live and let be conservatism where we have our free market. And, you know, we, we, you have your Christian society, but it lives alongside these hedonist, you know, repugnant individuals who don't hold any anything uh sacred that, that that that's not sustainable you can't have that you need a government that should instill and protect some baseline in terms of values and traditions and culture just for the health of society i mean i think the republican party needs to embrace things like uh natalism in order to get birth rates up they need to have strong family family uh encouraging a family policy to grow back the families help families develop do whatever they can uh they need to be encouraging you know i think school prayers in school they need to be teaching you know judeo-christian values back in schools whatever it is i mean i'm all for that i'm all for the old school kind of you know religious right conservatism in many ways because they were right they were right all their all their predictions came true and we're looking at things now that it's absolutely horrible what's going on in society and what they're infiltrating the minds of children with i mean do you agree so i i mean i think i just want um so i guess first is you mentioned about uh, you know the these laissez-faire living you know living amongst hedonists that once again this only works if the hedonists if you know the the the, the degenerate liberals are willing to agree to leave us alone and they're not right, willing exactly. to leave us alone there's they no want, gentlemanly agreement between us and, right. and glam or whatever we're called right if there was a nice agreement you know you have your pride you have your schools with your conservative values we have our schools where we put all our kids on puberty blockers you know we could live as a country obviously how the, the Hasidic community has always kind of worked their way through the new york system they've always been able to try to you know carve out their sort of local autonomy to a degree but now even that's being eroded so you yeah. can't even see it at the localized communal level yeah, they're not they're not going to have that anymore in New York. I mean, they're going to start. I mean, the left does want, you know, mandatory LGBTQ plus whatever education. And obviously in the Hasidic communities, they're not teaching that. Uh, so you so don't say. Well, yeah, uh, no, so, no, so you're, you're 100 percent correct that we need to work on birth rates. And I mean, once again, this this is because we, there's no gentlemanly agreement, as you put it. We need to do the same thing the left is doing, but the opposite. We need to start pushing from like our values. Yeah, uh, they're pushing their values. Well, we'll push our values. And, and, or if there's no counteroffensive, if you're just playing defense the whole time, you're eventually going to lose. Especially if the other side, you know, has all these resources mounted against you. We've conceded so much ground in the culture. We've conceded so much ground in the media. Uh, you know, we've 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 only formed political uh you know ourselves as a political sort of front but really i mean until maybe you know recently there hasn't been much talk about building sort of the cultural institutions that you really need to counter the left hopefully that changes maybe in the next decade or so but it should be interesting to see but um it's largely also a large part of it is monetary uh relating to the cost of living and and people don't talk about this as much and people like, well, you know, it's laissez, you know, laissez-faire economics. I think, you know, because there's no gentlemanly agreement, we need to look to get back to the place where the where this where the mother could stay at home and raise the children and be able to exist on a single parent income in the middle class. Like, like this used to be the case where 
where the mother used to stay at home, the father used to go, you know, not, not that they should be forced to stay at home, but, you know, that there should be, they have well, the choice of income. Do that. You were Sorry. able to do that. But yeah, the point is, you need a good class income and have a house, yeah, you, a mortgage, a car, and all this stuff. And you can't do that on a single, you know, on, on it's a, impossible. It's impossible, and it just shows that the the value of our of our money has been eroded. I mean, there has been massive inflation. Our purchasing power has decreased. The jobs that we've had uh, have not kept up uh, with rising costs of living. We've had stagnant wages. We've had stagnant purchasing power, and all that's a result of government. It's a result of government interference of the money supply. It's a result of government's bad trade deal, sending jobs overseas. Yeah. It's a, it's a result of government uh, destroying domestic industry, everything. Yeah, everything. It, 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 it's, it all ties back. And, uh, you know, that's what we're seeing. And that's a huge problem in the West. And it's only made worse, you know, because we've had – because even if you look historically, there have been plenty of times throughout history where, where, where people lived – in very poor conditions where they lived economically destitute, but they were still able to maintain the family structure. They were still able to have children and, and large families, which changed now is you have both the economic component and you have this absolutely regressive cultural and social component that are just really weighing down the West and, 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 and turning us into this sort of, uh, uh, you know, the, we're just becoming almost a corpse of our former selves in many ways. And it's not happening just in the U.S. It's happening globally. And sometimes the, the U.S. may be slightly better than some of these countries. If you look at Europe, for example. Right. Um, but, there, but there are examples. I mean, you see Hungary and some of the Visegrad countries uh, shifting it back a bit. Um, Israel is, is a little better than most. Uh, there's a few places that there are some hope. Um, but it really is based because those countries have strong uh, nation state values. They're, they're centered around a, uh, a unified people with a unified cultural background, with a unified linguistic religious framework that we had a degree of in the United States. I mean, obviously, the United States wasn't built around an ethnic group, but we had common values. We had common ideas. We had a common yeah, we had common language, at least. I mean, we had the common Judeo-Christian framework. Um, I'm just going to keep bringing that up. Uh, but you don't, have, don't never stop that. No matter how yeah. much you just keep on rubbing it in their faces. Yeah, makes sense in this context. That's why it's easy to use. But um, uh, but yeah, but all those things used to exist, and those have all been eroded. That's why this country is so disunited. I mean, what really unites us anymore? Nothing. Nothing. And I mean, you know, that, that's where that's why we are where we are. I want to just touch on very quickly the yeah. you brought up the, uh, the the we mentioned about the single you know being able to live on a single income and live a middle class right. life on a single income. I just want to touch on this because a lot of na- you know national populists get this issue wrong. They think you know if we if we if we you know if maybe we'll agree to increase the minimum wage that that will help or maybe we'll we'll bring we'll bring, you know bring jobs back. And the, the issue the the question isn't how much you make. It's a question of how much you make and what that is worth and what a unit of labor gets you on on the market or whatever, you know, whatever market it is. It's, you know, for for a 40 hour work week, I'm going to be able to be able to pay a mortgage, a car or two, a vacation or two a year. And it's a total cost of living. And that's affected largely by government subsidies to universities, healthcare, and a variety, you know, various other, uh, you know, various other, um, uh, issues across, you know, you know, the, uh, people in normal life. I agree with you. I think there is a tendency of this new emerging ideological movement, this national populist movement that they're just almost, uh, eager to embrace, you know, a lot of these left-wing, uh, economic positions because they obviously have good intentions and they want to take, right, they, sound nice. they sound great. And I agree with them, but sometimes they still don't add up. I mean, I come from a more free market background. I was really big into Austrian economics. So, I mean, I could look at some of these things and agree. I mean, I, I have no problem with protectionism. I'm all for protectionism. Right. I'm all for changing the rhetoric to being pro labor, to be pro worker. Uh, and I'm all for, I'm, I'm all for, uh, you know, I, I would even be for, you know, uh, you know, the tax code being structured in a certain way to incentivize families. You know, you get, you get a, you get a, you get Very a lower rate if you're married, you get lower rates per each child. I would even be fine for, you know, tax credits to incentivize small business, domestic manufacturers. Tax I would be fine. Even, with, you know, maybe pulling as well. Very. Important. Yeah. And I would even be fine for, you know, guaranteed uh, maternity leave in many cases. I mean, let, let these woke corporations put their money where their mouth is, but at the same time, you have to find a balance because you could you could get these and that's what i think where maybe some countries in eastern europe are also getting wrong and they're not seeing the kind of success that should come with many of their policies is because they are still having this kind of left-wing economic viewpoint to achieve these results and it's just not going to work because like you said you need to increase the actual uh purchasing power you can't just throw money at it if the purchasing power doesn't rise you're never going to get to a position where people are going to be financially comfortable to have families to start families to grow families etc 
it's what you can get from a 40 hour work week. That's what's yeah. important. And that needs, that needs to be focused on being increased rather than, you know, productivity, right? Productivity output, you know, cause the currency is just a means of exchange. It's just a way to kind of, uh, count, it's a way to quantify a lot of this, but you can, you could change the decimal point and you can move the number, the, the numbers around. But at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, the actual uh, value of your labor and what you're outputting into society. But anything, I mean, this is great. I threw the stuff a lot touched on if we want to wrap this up uh, that you want to do. If nothing, uh, it's fine. We can conclude. We'll always have you back on. Yeah. Yeah, so I appreciate you. So I guess the only, the, the, I, you know, we mentioned it a couple times is just get involved in primary elections. It's not the yeah. general elections that are as, you yes. know, they're also important, but the primary, make sure you vote for the the actual conservative, not, you know, you know, not the chamber candidate. We you vote right. against every chamber candidate at every opportunity. They're not there to help you. They're there to enrich themselves and enrich you know, these leftist mega corporation, woke mega corporations. And if yep. you don't do that, if you don't get involved, if you don't vote, if you don't volunteer, if you don't phone bank, if you don't donate to these candidates, they're not going to win and we're not going to move our society in the way that we want. Yep. Agreed. And and I think if you extrapolate that to the, to the Georgia runoffs, I mean, I understand the frustrations that people have with the GOP establishment. I understand the frustrations with these two pretty lame candidates in many ways. I mean, I know they're good. They're good senators, but they're not, the, I'm just talking politically speaking. Like sometimes sure. they, they've had good votes. They've had bad votes. Sometimes they're not charismatic. Sometimes they made stupid decisions. I understand that. You still got to vote for them in the general because the consequences of losing them will be unimaginably worse. I can't even speak unfathomably worse than, uh, having, you know, uh, than, than whatever you think is, is, is the alternative because, you beat them in the primaries. If you want to change the Republican Party, do in the primaries. Don't snub their noses in the general because you're going to screw us all over. And don't get involved in politics if you don't think it's going to be about marginal victories, marginal gains. You're never going to get the whole thing all in one fell swoop. You're not going to have this massive ideological victory. You're not going to have your utopia tomorrow. It's all about give and take. It's about political maneuvering. And sometimes you got to you just got to you just got to take it, and you got to just you know plug your nose and just you know go to the ballot box and vote, even if it really pisses you off. It, you know it's still going to make make a marginal difference in your life. The, the truth is, uh, so I mean, first is the, the Georgia Seneca candidates. They are in the top 10 elected, you know, Republican senators in the Senate right now. It's not saying that they're so great. <laughs> you know, the Senate, senator, the Senate's not a great bar, but yes, I understand. They, they are, they are in the top 10. Um, so they are in the top 10. And I mean, I guess a little bit of a, br a, a bright spot is we did very, very well in the in the twenty in the twenty twenty elections in the House, a lot of Freedom Caucus candidates won. Cynthia Loomis won yes. for Senate in Over. Wyoming. Very very good. It's really really important. She's an excellent candidate. She was a great representative. She'll be a great senator. But I, so I mean, things are moving in the right direction. We have to push them further in the right direction and quicker. Because otherwise, if we don't do it quick enough, there's not going to be anything left. We got, you know, to push. So we, we got to do this. We have to get involved. We have to push for solid candidates um, all across the country. And, uh, you know, uh, otherwise it's all worthless. Couldn't agree more. Um, but this has been an awesome time. I'm glad we had you on. I definitely want to have you back on again because uh, we could talk for hours about a lot of these things. But uh, where can we follow Christian you? Values. Yes, Judeo-Christian values. Where can we follow you? What's your Twitter handle? What's your social? Give us the spiel. So Twitter handle is Gavi Shapiro. That's G-A-V-I-S-H-A-P-I-R-O. And uh, that's it. <laughs> okay. He is, a, he is a broad spectrum of social accounts. You can follow him on. Check it out. Check him out on Twitter, guys. And stay tuned for the next episode of the WaxCast podcast. We're really coming to full speed here. We are available on iTunes, on Spotify, on every on Google, on every podcast distribution center you can. We're going to have more guests. We're going to keep doing things better. And, uh, you know, this is only going to go up from here, hopefully. So uh, fingers crossed. And uh, we'll stay tuned for the next episode, guys. Thank you for tuning in.